I took weekly classes or therapy sessions with her. And the first thing she taught me was, A, the first thing you need to do when you wake up in the morning is to drink a really big glass of water because as a nation, we are very dehydrated. B, do not look at your phone for at least two hours in the morning because it's not good for you. C, if you're not feeling good, you put on your favorite song and you dance and you do not care what it looked like or if someone sees you because your mission is to just dance with everything you have. Hello there and welcome to Mental Health at Work, the podcast where people reveal the mental health stories that shaped how they think about work and themselves. To kick off season three, we have Claudia Seke, head of people at Taylorfy, who shares her experience of escaping workaholism and how a compassionate leader in her past has helped her become the compassionate leader of today. As always, this podcast is brought to you by Oliva, proper mental health support and emotional growth for every single employee. If you want to learn more about how Oliva could support your business and your people, head to oliva.health. That's O-L-I-V-A dot health. Okay, let's get on with the show. Claudia, welcome to Mental Health at Work podcast. How are you today? Hello, I'm really good, thank you. I'm here, I have a good vibe, I have some lit candles, cup of tea. Thank you so much for your time and being here today. I'm very excited to have you. So you were saying you had a great morning. How's that? Why why did you have a great morning? Why did I have a great morning? Um, I set myself up. Um, for a mood that I enjoy being in. So I woke up and I did my morning routine, which usually involves pressing a fresh lemon in a glass of Mm -hmm. water. I drink that. had a bit of a walk in Battersea Park because we just moved next to the park, which is really nice. I'm a big fan of nature. Then I prepared for today and I got to delve a little bit deeper into my past, actually. And I cried a bit because some old memories came up thinking about you know my mental health and why it has been as it has been I did come to the realization that I haven't worked a lot on my inner child healing which I thought Mm -hmm. I did and I realized I have not hence it became a very beautiful morning because it was very heartfelt and um, deep preparing for today it feels like a very insightful morning a very insightful morning definitely I was actually supposed to have an interview two hours before this and I had to contact my colleague and I was like hi so there is a lot of stuff coming up from my childhood that I thought I had processed and I had not would you mind if I skip out and thankfully that was okay this was to your colleague yeah it's super nice to hear that you have that level of trust and safe space it's amazing I would love to dig in more on how you got there obviously about your personal story Before that, I would like to take a step back and perhaps you can intro yourself for our listeners. Of course. Thank you very much. So my name is Claudia and I will apologize in advance for my accent. I have a Swinglish 
because I am from the southwest coast of Sweden and I've only been in the UK for four years. <laughs> if someone would have asked me three years ago, who are you? I would have said, I'm ahead of people. I'm 26 back then and I'm Swedish. I think in the past three years, I've definitely gone through a lot. And when people ask me, who are you today? I think it's kind of a different theme. To dive straight in, I'm a very heartfelt, goofy, open and empathetic human being. I do really live through my heart and I wear my heart on my sleeve. I work as a head of people for an influencer marketing startup called Talify. And I was born in Sweden and I'm 28 years old. And today I can clearly say that I'm not Swedish by heart. I'm Latin by heart. Oh, wow. Yeah, it took me some time to figure that out. But being born in Sweden, I always felt like the odd one. They're quite cold. Mm -hmm. I was very warm. And I never understood why I didn't get this warmth back from my peers around me, including my parents, actually. I never just fit in. And then my partner is from Spain. And I just realized that the people, the culture, everything is copy-paste who I am. So... Yeah, I guess we can say I'm Claudia, 28, somewhat Latin, somewhat Swedish. You should do this, you know, how you spit and then can trace all your ancestors. Perhaps there is something there. I wouldn't but be I, surprised. <laughs> but I love this before and after. How would you define yourself? It feels like you went through a deep process that make you change your perspective about yourself, your identity. I don't know how it was before. But now I can breathe through you calmness and like self-care. And it's really nice to hear you talking like that. It's very, very nice to hear as well that you can feel that calm. So you were saying that you always felt different, that you didn't fit in. That must feel very lonely. So I'm an only child. I do have a brother now, but he was born 11 years after me and we have a different mother. So I was definitely the lonely kid. Both my parents were workaholics in the nightclub industry. So they owned a lot of restaurants and nightclubs, meaning that I was around old, drunk people who are working. And I was four years old or younger. And I just mm -hmm. had to fit in in that environment rather being in an environment where a child should So a lot of people would say I was not lonely because I was a cute kid who was around a lot of people who gave me attention, but I did feel very lonely because I didn't get the, well, the love that you should have when you're a child. You don't want to be in a nightclub or a restaurant, but it also gave me my biggest strength, which is people today, because I was forced to fend for myself and forced to learn how to adapt and socialize in an environment that was so far off where I should have been. It's nice to hear that you learn and you got like your coping mechanisms were quite healthy in a certain way. But I imagine the cost of that must be very hard. As children, we form attachments. They mm. can be secure, they can be anxious or detached. And I formed a very anxious attachment, meaning that when I went into my love life and as a teenager, I did not know how to love and I did not know how to attach in a healthy relationship. Mm. 
meaning that I felt myself jumping from relationship to relationship to relationship, trying to chase that high that we get in our brains when we are falling in love. And eventually it led me to incredibly toxic relationship, incredibly toxic, where I lost myself completely. I was nothing of who I am in my core. I lost all my weight. I lost all my um, boundaries. I accepted anything to feel loved, although it was fake. I think that was a very important lesson for me and a very important journey, but it was also the nail to my coffin, which I'm today is very grateful for because that allowed me to die. And it sounds very bad, but I'm really happy that I did because it was the toxic Claudia who died so that a new healthy version could be born again and take wiser decisions and build a new life for myself that was not taunted by these patterns that I gained from my childhood. Was there any trigger for that transformation? So I had just been in a relationship for two years on and off where I was notoriously cheated on. I was gaslighted. I was led to believe that I was crazy. I was 48 kilos. I lost my body. When I finally had the power to break out of that relationship, quite shortly thereafter, I met someone who was very healthy, balanced and grounded. And that is my current partner. People jump to think, oh, wow, finally she got the happy ending, right? No, that's when I crashed and burned. Because for the first time in my life, I could relax. I could breathe out. I felt safe. And everything I have suppressed from a little, little girl and been running away from finally came to the surface because it felt safe to do so. And I got really depressed. And that was so confusing. How was that feeling? How would you explain that physically, emotionally? It came as an intrusive thought. I don't love him. He's not good enough. I need to run away. No, I need to break up now. And I felt deep in my core. No, stay where you are. Breathe, relax. But I got so much panic attacks over and over again for maybe six weeks. I couldn't sleep at night. My brain tricked me about things he was doing wrong, everything it could to push me away from that relationship. And seeing him was a great trigger for a panic attack. He came into my house, boom, panic attack. And I had to go home to my dad's house in Sweden, where I spent three weeks in deep agony and anxiety. And one day I just fell down on the floor and I was rolling around crying and screaming. And I just remember screaming, fuck it. I can't take this anymore. I can't do this. Take me, do whatever you want with me because I'm giving up now. I give up. And after that, I felt something lift. Something just lifted off me. And it's like, what just happened? And little by little, I felt lighter. My anxiety got maybe from, you know, 100% to 60%. And that's when I got the energy to help myself. What do you think happened? So I obsessed for three weeks to understand what happened with me. And obviously broke a pattern. So I've been in toxic relationships for half of my life. And then I entered a healthy one. And my um, body panicked because that wasn't safe because I had learned 
to relate safety with danger. Danger for me was safe. So my body panicked thinking that that was dangerous and it resisted and resisted and resisted. So when I gave up, I also stopped resisting. It's almost like you accepted. Exactly. I accepted. So I stopped resisting and I accepted that it is what it is. And we had planned this grand honeymoon trip to Greece where we're going to go to Santorini, Mykonos, Paros. And I told my partner that you need to cancel everything because I can't get up a bed. And he told me, okay, I'll do it. And I was like, how are you not pissed at me? Why are you not screaming at me? It's like, oh, he really cares. And I said, you know what? If I feel bad and if I want to stay in sleeping all day, all trip, is that okay? And he said, of course. And I said, okay, let's go. And how was the trip? So I was really anxious for two days because we hadn't met for four weeks and he had been such a trigger. Then I remember I was sat on a cliff, on top of a cliff where we had our Airbnb in Santorini overlooking the ocean. And I was like, okay, I'm going to meditate here. And I meditated. And for the first time ever, I felt the tingles and the energy. And I started crying and I was like, I am exactly where I'm supposed to be. And I'm so glad that I listened to that intuition that told me not to run away, but to stay and just relax and breathe into it. What is your learning here? We are born with patterns that our parents were born with and that our grandparents were born with. And they're passed along from human to human to human. And sadly, 99% of us accept them and we live them out. But there's also that 1% who decide to break the cycle, who says, no, I'm not going to be like that. I want something better for myself. And what I thought back then was maybe the worst period of my life was actually the most beautiful period of my life, because that was the breaking point where I could see the pattern that had been passed on to me and choose, is this what I want for my future? And I could take the decision that no, it's not. It's going to hurt like hell, but I'm willing to go through it to get the life that I always dreamed of having, which is a balanced, grounded family life. Nothing extraordinary, really. Did you ever had another episode after this or similarities to what you went through? Yes. And I've actually just come out of it. It started in April and it lasted until June. And it's really hard to accept. Why am I here again? I've done the work. I have meditated. I have worked a lot on myself. I've read all the books. I even gone to psychedelic healing weekend in Portugal. Yet I'm here again. But I also learned that this is not a race, it's a marathon. And if we would try to heal all at once, that would be the end of it. You need to do it step by step. So, yeah, this summer it was time again. And yet again, I found myself full of fear, really at a breaking point. And I told my partner probably once per week for two months that I can't do this. I don't want to live with this anymore. I don't recognize myself. I don't like to feel this anxious. I have no 
lust for life. This is not me. And then I, I remember walking in the park and I told him, it just came back and we just can't do this. And he said, why don't you just go with it? And I was like, what do you mean go with it? And then I visualized what would it mean to go with it? And I was like, yeah, you befriend it. You take its hand and you say, okay, let's go. It's fine. We can feel bad. Let's feel bad together. And I did that. And yet again, it changed because I needed to stop resisting. We just need to allow ourselves to feel bad sometimes because your body needs to release what needs to be released or what is ready to be released. So stop resisting. It feels like the path towards our acceptance is what making it's making you be more you and happy. Yet it's so hard to accept. So I hear that you have a massive support from your partner, someone that actually accepts you and pushes you to accept yourself. But I also hear that you're resourceful to find resources, like you were talking about this retreat, about meditating, about books and videos. So I was just thinking about people that perhaps don't have this couple, this person that is there to fully accept but there are other ways. So I don't know if you can tell us a little bit about all the resources you used. Obviously, yeah. I'm super convinced that our listeners are going to be very curious about this retreat that you did. <laughs> <laughs> but also if you went to therapy, what else was uh, out there for you? Absolutely. So my first crash and burn in 2020, I, I really got obsessed with understanding what was going on with me and how I can help myself. Thanks to my work, I got four weeks off and I could really focus on helping myself. And I spent a lot of time on Google. Why do I feel? And I put in what I felt. And you should definitely not trust Google sometimes because <laughs> there's a lot of opinions on there. But I also learned a lot about our bodies and how memories are stored in the body and how you can help yourself. And my first journey was with a life coach, a spiritual life coach who thankfully was just starting off her journey. So she offered her guidance for free and that just appeared in the right time. And so I took weekly classes or therapy sessions with her. And the first thing she taught me was A, the first thing you need to do when you wake up in the morning is to drink a really big glass of water because as a nation, we are very dehydrated. B, do not look at your phone for at least two hours in the morning because it's not good for you. See, if you're not feeling good, you put on your favorite song and you dance and you do not care what it looked like or if someone sees you because your mission is to just dance with everything you have. And this is because when we're depressed, our brains just can't release enough serotonin. So you need to find ways to make your brain release it. And just before I met her, Sorry, this is a bit of a jump back. But just before I met this coach, I had gone to four GPs in one week and I cried and I was desperate. And I said, something is wrong with my hormones. Please help me. They took blood tests and they're like, no, Claudia, your results are fine. And I cried and I'm like, they're not fine. I feel like I'm falling apart. Something is wrong. And he looked at me. And he pointed his finger to his head and he said, Claudia, it's up here. And I felt so helpless. He gave me antidepressants. 
I took these antidepressants for five days and I felt high, super bad, totally detached. It's like, I don't want to be numb. I want to feel. I want to feel happy. I want to feel sad. So no, I'm not going to do this. So I threw them away and decided to find a natural way to help my brain to release serotonin. So that's when I found this coach. She also gave me two meditations, one to do in the morning and one to do in the night. And they were perfectly costumed for what you need in the morning, which is a real kick and an upbeat energy. And in the night, it was all about deleting what you've gone through during the day that holds a grudge to make sure you don't go to bed carrying these negative emotions with you. After this, I started meditating a lot and that's when I found my awakening and I was in a high in a bus because I've realized that I, I can control my body. I can control my mind. I do not need to listen to the thoughts. When the thoughts kicked in or the negative thoughts, I could kindly say, Hey, Sarah, cause I named her Sarah. Sarah, I'm, I'm very grateful that you're trying to help me here. I need you to sit in the back seat because my heart will drive today. Thank you. From then it's been a lot of reading. So, I mean, I'm happy to link lots of good books that I've read throughout my journey because books have saved me. The Wisdom of Anxiety with Cheryl Paul. Wow. I was mind blown. She speaks about anxiety as a messenger and our body trying to communicate with us that something is off and that we should bless the anxiety rather than run from it. And I read this and I'm like, wow, I really got this wrong. So every book that I've read have pushed me one step further up. It feels like you have a good set of tools. I'm guessing many of these tools you've used from the first time that you had your experience with depression. How was the difference between the first time and the second time? The first time I thought I'm going really crazy because I had no clue. I had no knowledge. I had no support because when I told my friends, I feel like I don't love my partner anymore. And I don't know where this comes from because two weeks ago I felt so it felt right. And now I look at him and all I get is anxiety. And people who haven't felt this before, they say, oh, you must have fallen out of love then. Maybe you should just dump him. No, that doesn't feel right. So first time I had this very strong conflicting energies trying to pull me in two different directions. While the second time I knew what was going on with me. So somehow it's a bigger shame because I'm like, oh, I've done the work. Why am I here again? But it was also so much more powerful when I accepted it and I did bring in my toolbox and I did use everything I've learned because then I was more able to pick myself out of it and see it very clearly. And I know why I went through that. I felt, you know, my whole life I've attached my identity to performance, a good girl. I get loved by overperforming. So I killed myself for a long time to overperform. And I was very much attached to my title, the success at my job, and it took a really long time. So this summer I felt my attachment to my identity at work, just coming up and I could feel my ego clenching to that title. No, don't let go of it. Don't let go of it. Don't let go of it. And again, I felt no, but I need to. So if I need 
to find a new job in order to feel good, I'll have to do that. If I need to start working with yoga now, or I don't know, at Starbucks, if that's what I need to do, well, I will do that. And when I relaxed into that, the anxiety, the depression, everything lifted from me. And now I can look at my job and my title and my responsibilities and say, well, actually, I do like that. I enjoy working with that. But I don't no longer need it in order to love myself. It's like you don't need, you choose. And when you let go, then you kind of accept and it's easier for you to be happy and more even closer to who you really are. In the beginning is the attachment to try to hold on to it. But when you accept it and you dare to let go of that attachment, you realize it's not going to go anywhere. It's still there. And I hear, I heard a lot of times in this same podcast, people saying how they link their identity to work, to their titles, to their performance, even founders and CEOs saying, when someone asks me how I am, I tend to reply, yeah, the business is going well, right? <laughs> What would you recommend to someone that is there, but doesn't know how to detach? My best friend told me the other day, Claudia, no one thanks you for working overtime. I'm not going to thank you. Your boss is not going to thank you. Are you going to thank yourself? No. Okay, well, you need to choose yourself first. Because if you don't do that, you'll be forced to. If you don't tend to your body, mind, and soul, you'll be forced to. And that's not going to be beautiful. So if you're in that position, take it step by step, but learn to choose yourself first more frequently than you're probably doing today. Maybe you don't need to work late. Maybe you don't need to run off to that birthday party because you would feel guilty if you don't do it. If your body feels like it needs some time for yourself, prioritize your body before you will be forced to. I saw that you even posted in LinkedIn your experience about going through all this pain, but also coming stronger out of it. I was wondering how did this shift changed you as a employee? So my employment before my breakdown, I was very much an overachiever. I was, let's make sure I come into the office first and I leave last. I need to show everyone how much I'm working, how much I'm producing and how good I am. Once a people and culture partner or head of people, is that the example you want to set for the people? Like you're supposed to be the healthy person. And I was not. And I really do recognize that. And I don't think I really put a good example for the people. So when I crashed, I got so much support from my leaders and some of my colleagues. It's weird coincidences, but the CEO gave me The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle which really influenced me. And I asked him afterwards, why did you give me that book? And he's like, I'm not sure. And I'm like, okay, well, I'll trust it was for the good. And feeling accepted and feeling loved, although I crashed and although I wasn't able to work, something changed in me. I was no longer scared of not being loved because I didn't, you know, kill myself at work. So when I came back, From a month off, I decided I want to give back to the people at Tailify what they gave to me. So I shared my journey and why I had been off for so long in a Monday meeting for 40 to 40 people. And I was shaking and I was so scared and I was thinking, what are people going to think? They're going to think I'm so weak. 
but I knew, no, you need to do this. Just share it. And I did. And the effect of sharing that is still going on today. It started with one colleague who came to me a month after. And she said, Claudia, I'm really struggling. I'm going through the darkest of the darkest periods and I don't know what to do. And I simply passed over the toolbox that some other women have given me when I struggled. And I passed that on to her and I said, I would love to be your accountability partner. Send me your gratitude journal every day on WhatsApp. I'm not going to read it, but I expect it every day. And she did that for a long time. And that is such a vulnerable thing to do to a colleague that you don't know that well. And today I see this beautiful woman who've gone from such a dark place to a fierce light who is now leading with her heart and who is now giving this toolbox to the people that she manages. And she was just the first person. Then more and more and more employees would come to me because they have heard if you're not feeling good, speak to Claudia. I'm not taking credit because all I did was simply pass on my toolbox. And I told them, this is what helped me. Why don't you try this? Let's chat bi-weekly and see how you're doing. I'm just here to be your accountability partner. Little by little, as this grew, it became a snowball effect because all of a sudden, we're this community of employees who are courageous enough to be vulnerable with each other and to support each other. And this can show itself in, you know, we've had WhatsApp groups where we discuss if we're not feeling very good. And I mean, I'm struggling today as well. You know, sometimes I will reach out to these people and they will remind me about the toolbox that I once gave them. And if it wasn't for my breakdown and that my leaders and the founders and my colleagues helped me go through that, I wouldn't be able to pass that on to the company. I think it changed everything. Somehow it's like, it's a difficult story you're telling. And at the same time, it's beautiful. And I want to thank you for sharing this, not only for your personal story that I know that it's still bubbling, it's still not fully processed. So I'm mm. guessing it's even more difficult, but also for the very tangible examples, it's very valuable to many of our listeners. I wanted to ask you, what would you recommend for someone that is not going through this, but knows mm. someone that is? When you are struggling, you don't want an answer. You want someone to hold space for you. And me and my partner, we're struggling here because he is the right-brained, logical, very intelligent finance guy. And he wants an answer for everything, which he pretty much does, to be honest. But he can't answer my pain. And when I'm in pain, he tries to give me answers. And all I want is him just holding space for me where I can break down in order to piss myself back together. So my recommendation would be, don't feel like you need to find a solution or need to help them find an answer. Because that's a big job and no one is expecting you to do that. Maybe just be there for them, give them a cup of tea, cuddle up, watch Harry Potter, I don't know. You know what makes people happy? sit by the fire, be there for them, just listen. And my last question would be, as a people leader, what would you recommend to other people leaders do for their employees? So I wrote about this in my article, and many companies only implement perks, such as Oliva, 
which is a really good perk, by the way. And I can't wait to launch it for the Tailify team because I know they're going to love it. Maybe they have a wellness budget, for example, and they think, cool, now we're doing what's enough for, for mental health. But if it's not destigmatized, no one is going to book a session with a therapist because they're going to think it's shameful. So as a people leader, you need to go first. And I do know how hard it is. And I still find it so hard. But in the onboarding, I have an intro to our values because they're very important. And I always wrap that session up speaking about our values, where they come from and why they are so human. And I share how our humanness at Tailify really shines through. And there I tend to share my story as well. And I don't, don't do it because I want it to be a sob story, not at all. I want it to be empowering because I want them to know from the first week that everyone will fall apart at one point. But please know that when you're falling apart, don't suffer in silence because there are so many beautiful souls around this company that is here willing to catch you, help you and share the toolbox. Have an empathetic leadership style. Show the people that it's okay to be you and it's okay not to be okay because if you can't show them that you're not okay all the time they're never going to show you when they're not feeling okay so you need to go first you need to take the first step and be the brave person who accepts that we're not always okay claudia thank you so much for your story no, for your tips for your passion telling your story i really really enjoyed listening to you every word Thank you. And I'm so glad that I can be here and share this because I think it's such an important topic. And I really do hope that we make new HR become more human. And I know that we are, but I want to see more people light up and uh, give some sunshine to mental health. This podcast was hosted by Maite Otero. Produced by Billy Cragen and brought to you by Oliva. Proper mental health support and emotional growth for every single employee. Thanks to Claudia for sharing her story and for confirming that nothing releases serotonin quite like throwing some shapes to your favourite tune. If you're a fan of the podcast, you can like or subscribe to Mental Health at Work in all the usual places. And if you really want to help us beat the podcast search engine algorithms... You can also leave us a review on Apple or Spotify, preferably a positive one. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.